www.thepatriotmedia.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dan Ferris. Uh, he is an editor at Stansbury and Associates. Uh, his two newsletters are Extreme Value and the 12% Letter. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you, Jordan. Very good to be here. Let's just start with your background a little bit and what you've been doing in the stock market uh, writing and, and uh, how you got to edit these two newsletters. Uh, sure. Well I, um, well, I started in the newsletter business in, oh, 1997. And uh, at first, I focused on researching uh, natural resources and things. That's, that's really how I came into investing and newsletters. Uh, before I got into newsletters, I was just a private individual investing my own money. And um, I had done some commodity trading a little bit. Very little. It didn't turn out well. And, uh, you know, then I did some, you know, just more traditional type stock market activity, and that made a lot more sense to me than commodities trading. So I, one day I just wrote a letter to the publisher and said, you know, I read your newsletters, and I think I can do this as well as anyone. And he, he wrote back, and he said, oh, okay, well, come on in and talk to us. So I did, and, and that was uh, late 1997. Uh, and I guess I started writing the two newsletters that I'm writing now. I started writing Extreme Value, a value investing newsletter, in the fall of 2002, October of 2002, really. And uh, I started, I took over the 12% letter. That was an existing uh, newsletter that someone else was writing, and, and that editor went away to do something else, and so I took over in October of 2010, and I've been doing those two ever since. And uh, the methodology, if you want to talk about that, yes, I'd like to. Let's do one at a time. Let's start with extreme sure. value, and uh, talk about how you pick stocks and and what your philosophy is behind picking stocks in extreme value. Sure, extreme value is, as the name suggests, a value investing service. So value investing is simply, you know, you try to figure out the value of a business, and if the stock price is far enough below that value, then you, you might have a good investment on your hands. Uh, it, you know, it really boils down to that very simple uh, idea, but of course it gets complicated quicker. And what we do, and all value investors, they kind of evolve differently, and I think my evolution has traced a very kind of familiar path to most value investors. Okay, I started out with um, Benjamin Graham, who is the father of value investing, and reading his ideas and trying trying his methods. But Jordan, his methods were developed during the Great Depression, so they tend not to work nearly as well now as they did way back then. Yeah. So then, you know, most value investors figure that out, and they stop looking for things like, you know, discounts to book value. You know, you, you, you do computer screens and you ask for all the stocks that are trading below book value and you figure, well, 
one of these is probably worth book value or more. So if it's trading for 50 or 60 or 70% of book value, it's a good buy. Eh, that, that doesn't work so good over time. Um, so you eventually sort of figure that out, and then you move on. And, and then you get, I, I think most value investors wind up sort of where I am. And where I am is I'm looking for a really good business, and I'm looking to buy it at a price that I think is, frankly, too cheap. You know, a, a price that that um, is well below where I think the real value of the business would be. And, and what are some of the keys, key indicators you use to see if you think it's undervalued? Well, the basic one that that I want to look at is uh, the amount of free cash flow. So this is basically cash profit after you have. Um, invested enough in capital expenditures to maintain and grow the business, whatever you have left over after that. So it's price over free cash flow? Is that the, uh, what you're looking for? Yeah, price over free cash flow. Often uh, with a company that's got an enormous amount of cash in hand and relatively little or sometimes zero debt, I'll tend to look at the enterprise value, which takes that excess cash out of the equation. So that just gives me a value on the business. Does it matter why the stock is undervalued? I mean, if it's a an out of favor industry, or or you know, there's usually a reason why a stock is trading for what it is. Does that make a difference for you? Absolutely. You know, something, Jordan. Over time, that has become really much more important than it used to be. In fact, that's kind of. Uh, I, I have an assistant, by the way, Mike Barrett. So. He, he, he's actually like my chief uh, research officer for Extreme Value and the other newsletter. Um, so, uh, you know, Mike and I, over time, we have, um, we have become much more interested in the perception in the marketplace of a company that is driving the, the relative cheapness of it. And, in fact, instead of doing computer screens at all anymore, we go around looking for news stories of stocks that are just, you know, have really fallen out of favor for one reason or another. And then we try to dig into the story from that angle and figure out if maybe we could have a different perception than the whole market does. And if so, you know, it could, it could be a good opportunity. So in other words, for the stock to reach its full value or, or not be undervalued, the market perception of it has to change somehow. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's. And you're predicting that there will be a change in perception because otherwise it can stay cheap for a long time. Right. Yeah, this is a, this is a good question. Um, hopefully, uh, we have chosen a business that is so good that is producing so much cash, so much excess cash that. It can work within a fairly negative perception, and I'll just give you an example like Microsoft. You know, that's, there, there's been a fairly negative perception of this stock for many years now, and it's only recently that the price has come up, which is sort of odd because everybody says they hate Windows 8, but now the price has come up. But they've worked actually to support the value, in my opinion, of the stock by you know, paying out a bigger dividend every year and buying back shares. Uh, you know, putting some of that excess cash to use, actually putting it in shareholders' pockets, I think, um, 
you know, helps support the value over time. So are you looking for a catalyst? You might see a company that's got great free cash flow and all the numbers go good. It's undervalued, but it can stay there for a long time. Are you looking in advance for a catalyst that will, will change the situation? No, we're, we're a lot less concerned about catalysts. Uh, from my point of view, catalysts, uh, you know, if, if there's a very specific one, I have to say, well, you know, if I know about it, everybody else knows about it, right? And, you know, if there isn't one that's, you know, very clearly, you know, on a specific date in the future, then, you know, we're, we're really getting into saying what if or maybe maybe something will happen. Maybe there will be a catalyst. And that's, you know, I, I don't um, – it's okay for me to buy a dirt cheap company and say, I think good things will continue to happen here. But to say, this is dirt cheap and there's something wrong with the business, for example, and I think a catalyst will change that, we generally don't try to do that. All right. Now, you separate your extreme value portfolio into several uh, categories, and your biggest one is what you call world dominators. How would you uh, describe generically a world dominator before we give an example or two? Okay, so generically, we have two traits here. The first one is it's the number one company in its industry, uh, usually by revenues. Um, so it just, just has higher revenues than anybody in the industry. Uh, the second trait, see, there are a lot of, lot of businesses that could fall into the, to the category if you just did, you know, number one by revenues. But, you know, we don't want things like the biggest copper miner or the biggest airline or anything like that because they're not really great businesses. So the second trait that makes it a world dominator is a short list of financial clues that we look for. And they are a consistently thick profit margin over time. Uh, and that is to say it doesn't have to be super thick. It doesn't have to be 10 or 20% net margins, but the, however thickness, whatever thickness it is, it has to be consistent over some period of time. So, you know, Walmart, just for example, has 3% net margins just consistently year after year. Number two on that list would be uh, generating lots of free cash flow. Um, number three is having a good balance sheet. And number four is rewarding shareholders with uh, share repurchases and or uh, dividends. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dan Ferris. He's the editor of Extreme Value. We'll be back after this. talking business talk to an expert call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. 
for strategies, stories, and much more. Tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sun Jog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Jog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman. My guest this hour is Dan Ferris. Uh, He is the editor of Extreme Value and the 12% Letter. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thank you, Jordan. We were talking about these, uh, what you call the world dominators. Do, Do they tend to be... American companies, or are there some around the world as well? Uh, there are certainly some around the world. The, the list that I have recommended in Extreme Value, they're all U.S.-based companies. Um, and what has been the track record with these things? You're buying them when they're cheap. Do they tend to kind of go in and out of vogue, and then you sell them when they become more popular? Uh, we actually haven't sold very many of them. Um, in fact... I had a couple of them on the list, which I selling them was the only mistake that I made because they, you know, they went up and I sold them. And then they continued going up and doing really well. You know, the businesses continued doing really well and the stock continued doing really well. But uh, right now we have a list of uh, must be about twelve or so, uh, and I don't have any plans to let go of them. Some of them are up, you know, triple digits, but they're they're still good to hold on to. I think at this point. So why don't you give us an example of a company in the world dominator sector uh, category that you added recently and why you added it, kind of the, going through the, the, the process of uh, why you saw it was cheap and, and why you wanted to add it to your list. Sure. Um, the latest one, the newest world dominator that we just added um, is Apple, Apple Inc., the company that makes iPhones and iPads and and all that stuff. And... We really, you know, I was saying before, we we tend to uh, focus more on perceptions and less on computer screens, and Apple is a great example of that Um, because, obviously, everybody and their brother knows about this company, right? Um, And and the whole world watched the share price fall from, you know, $700 to below $400, Um, and so there was, you know, we saw that happening, and we were like, well, okay, something is going on here, and you know this share price is getting killed, and the stock is super dirt cheap. And why is that happening? What is going on here? And you know, when we look at the business, we see two incredible products: um, the iPhone and the iPad. And those are like the revenues there are like seventy percent of the business. Both businesses are still growing, um, and 
and they're you know cranking out a bunch of cash. And in fact, at this point, the thing is so cheap that if you took away every part of it but the iPhone and the iPad, it would still be cheap, and you'd be getting the rest for free. You know, you can think of it that way. So we just saw this really cheap price on a really well-known business that is just generating huge, huge amounts of cash, $40 billion in free cash flow last year, and, and thought, you know, there, there's, there's something really, there's an opportunity here. Why do people dislike this stock all of a sudden after kind of being in love with it for so many years? And what, what and, was your answer uh, to that? Why did it fall out of favor when nothing had fundamentally changed, really? Well, you know, they 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 uh, kind of disappointed Wall Street for two quarters in a row last uh, last year, and you know, all of a sudden, instead of you know growing at enormous double digit rates, they were growing at more modest double-digit rates and, you know, instead of their profit margins expanding like crazy like they've been doing since, you know, basically most of the last 10 years, you know, that wasn't happening anymore. So when people see margins either, you know, contracting or failing to expand so much anymore, they get really worried. And I think I actually had the same worry that a lot of people, I think, have about Apple. I thought of it as a, a, a product purely a product company and purely a hardware company. And, you know, obviously anybody can make a hardware device, right? Anybody can make a cell phone. Anybody can make an iPad or, you know, a tablet computer. So eventually these will become commodities, won't they? It'll become commoditized. And I think uh, when people see margins uh, contracting and they see the company disappointing on expectations, maybe they get afraid that that's starting to happen. So what do you think will turn it around since the psychology is so negative on Apple now? What will turn it around and make the stock go back up significantly? Well, again, what we have here is a situation where um, we're, getting, we're going to get paid quite substantially to wait. Uh, Apple uh, changed their capital return program, and they're going to return $100 billion, basically about 25% of the current market cap to shareholders, by the end of 2015. Uh, about $60 of that will be in share repurchases, and the stock is really cheap. So buying it back at these prices uh, brings a lot of value to the remaining shareholder. And then the rest will go in, in dividends, and we figure you know, by that time, the end of 2015, we can be looking at a third higher dividend than we're looking at today. And, uh, you know, I think that'll kind of support uh, the value while we wait. And I think what people are waiting for with Apple is, you know, its next big revolutionary device, right? iPad in 2007, or I'm sorry, iPad was in 2010, iPhone was in 2007, you know, it's been three years, what's, what's next? And what do you, what do you think, think is next? What I think is next um, first of all, I want to emphasize at this price, I can afford not to know, but I think that TV is probably next, Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a, an experience. You know, Apple is this company that they, don't, they, don't, they didn't invent the cell phone, and they didn't invent the tablet computer. They reinvented them and reimagined them and put together existing technologies in a really elegant way and thought about the user experience. And they're doing that with television now. And I think that's probably going to be their next sort of uh, 
you know, revolutionary new user experience that they're going to create. So to understand uh, your system, you, you have a company that generates a lot of cash. Right. Uh, it's it's fallen out of favor for whatever reason. It's returning uh, money to its shareholders in the form of dividends or increasing dividends and share buybacks. Mm-hmm. And you think that it'll kind of get its mojo back is basically the idea of something that the fundamentals were good, but Wall Street fell out of love with it for whatever reason. Right, right. That that is the that's the basic nuts and bolts of it. Um, and when we look at it right at the moment we find it, we want to be able to say this is a really good business, and not a whole lot really has to change. Um, it just has to keep doing what it's doing. You know, yeah. we don't want to fix our upper. <laughs> we just want a really good business that, for some reason, has this negative perception and this cheap valuation in the stock market. Uh, what would be one more example of a world dominator that you might have added somewhat recently that would fit the same criteria? Uh, that we added somewhat recently would be Expeditors International. This is a... Uh, how to explain it. This is a third-party logistics provider, and I think the easiest way to understand that is it's a, a travel agent for freight, right? So they they help shippers uh, consolidate and efficiently move freight, uh, but mostly across borders. They do a lot of international um, freight movements, and, uh, you know, they're very good at... Uh, dealing with, you know, customs and everything you have to do to get something across borders. And they're the biggest third-party logistics provider in the Asia to North America, North America back to Asia lane. So, again, this is a, this is a good cash-gushing kind of business model because really it's just people in offices with um, you know, telephones and computers and things. They do own a little bit of real estate, but it's just distribution warehouses, kind of the cheapest kind of commercial real estate you can own, um, and generates, you know, hundreds of millions of of free cash flow a year. <clears throat> and I think, you know, there's a lot of things going on here that would um, cause a negative perception. I mean, the revenue is down slightly, and... Uh, some of that is actually related. About 40% of the revenue is moving high-tech products, right? They're really expensive, highly valuable, um, you know, and they 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 kind of weigh a lot. And this thing goes by tonnage, right? They charge by tonnage, so they move a lot of those. And when you're moving, you know, I, I guess iPads are smaller than than PCs, right? So you move the same amount of each one, and you you wind up uh, moving lighter stuff. But, you know, this company is so unique. I don't worry about what's happening right now. I think that they'll continue to dominate the Asian lane. I think they'll continue to grow over the long term, mostly because of the people at this company. It's a very unique organization. They won't do a big acquisition, and nobody's going to buy that company because the culture would never fit in with, with other companies. They um, they have highly motivated and, frankly, really highly paid employees. I heard a story about one of the employees was talking to a competitor, and the guy said he was going to – he wanted the guy to come work for him. He was going to offer him six figures. And the guy looked back at him and said, you mean per month? 
<laughs> because they take 20% of the operating income from each location, from each office around the world. They do business in 60 countries, and 20% of that operating income goes to the folks who work at that office. So, you know, really highly paid, highly motivated group. Great. Uh, yeah. All right, I'd like to go into some other areas. So world dominance is your first section of extreme value. The second one is what you call companies with scale and cost advantages. How do you pick somebody in that area? Um, scale and cost advantages. You know, this kind of, um, it wound up as a kind of a catch-all category because um, it started many years ago. We found in early, or I guess late 2002, early 2003, bunch of companies that had all kinds of uh, raw land, uh, just tens of thousands of acres. One of them was, for example, Alexander and Baldwin in Hawaii. They have, uh, at the time, they had over 90,000. I think they're down to about 86 or 87,000 acres uh, these days in, in Hawaii. And most of it was, uh, you know, sugarcane fields, but a lot of it was being uh, uh, changed to, you know, and re- um, uh, you know, reapproved and and uh, recategorized as higher, better use type of land for homes and commercial structures, office buildings, that kind of thing. As you know, as the surrounding area kind of grew, so you know, here they had this land. It was on the books at 150 bucks an acre. Some of it, it had been there since you know this company was like 100 years old. They'd had the land forever, and they paid you know next to nothing for it. And suddenly, it's worth. Uh, hundreds of thousands to a million or two an acre. Um, so that's definitely a scale cost kind of an advantage there. Um, so we went, you know, I went looking around, found a bunch of those. And I think what would be have, one example today of a company in, that has scale and cost advantages that you would like? Um, the, our most recent one uh, is KLA 10 Core. Now, this is the biggest provider of something called yield management and process control. What does that mean? That is, it provides equipment and software and services to semiconductor manufacturing firms like Intel and Taiwan Semiconductor and Samsung and Global Foundries. And uh, frankly, these companies, they just can't afford to do business without KLA 10 Core. Um, they spend billions, hundreds of millions to billions of dollars building these chip-making plants, and they need to maximize the yield. They need to get as many good chips manufactured out of a single run as possible. And, you know, KLA has equipment and software and services that help them do that. And they're spending more than ever because the chips are getting smaller, the technology is getting more complicated. You know, they're spending $5 billion to build one of these things now, the outgoing CEO of Intel said he thought uh, they'd be spending $10 billion in the next several years. So, uh, you know, the more you spend, uh, the, the more you really can't afford a mistake, and they're in the business of helping them, uh, you know, correct and prevent mistakes in large quantities of, uh, of manufactured semiconductors. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dan Ferris. He's the editor of Extreme Value and another newsletter we'll be speaking about called The 12% Letter, uh, which is about higher-yielding stocks. We'll be back after this. 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dan Ferris. Uh, He works at Stansbury & Associates. The two newsletter he he writes are Extreme Value and 12% Letter. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thank you, Jordan. If people want to find out more about the letters, uh, what website should they go to? It's called stansberryresearch.com. And they can sign up for the letters directly that way? Yes. Okay. Now, another category you have in the extreme value is what you call professional help. Um, so why don't you kind of describe that category and then maybe one example of a company uh, that would fit into that category and why you like it. Okay. This is, uh, this is sort of where we look for the jockey, not the horse. Uh, necessarily. So there's a couple of mutual funds in there that we think are run by good managers, and then there are companies in there that we think are run by people who are especially good at allocating capital in their particular industry. So they're like good investors in that industry. Um, And we, you know, actually, I'll mention two of them real quickly, because I, I really do want to mention both of these. Uh, the one we added just last year was Brookfield Asset Management. This is run by Bruce, um, excuse me, Bruce Flat and his team. Uh, he's the CEO, and he's got a team of people that uh, have been with him for for a while. And they used to just own real assets, uh, commercial office buildings, hydroelectric dams, timberland, things like that, in North America and Brazil. But they decided to become an asset management company 
uh, a few years ago. So they now own controlling stakes in all those things, and they've essentially, um, you know, they've taken in client money to invest um, in the remaining portions of them rather than owning 100% of them which is a really neat business model. It's much more efficient, and they'll get, I think, higher returns on capital uh, than they would have if they had kept it the old way. The other one I want to mention is called Altius Minerals. There's a little company in eastern Canada that is, does a phenomenal job of keeping shareholder money safe on the one hand and finding opportunities, literally, Jordan, I'm not kidding you, to make 50 or 100 times their initial investment on the other hand. Um, one example of what they did, they, they put about $600,000 into uh, a uranium find in eastern Canada and sold it for about $200 million and kept a 3% gross royalty on the property. So if they build a mine there at some point in the future, they'll get 3% of, uh, you know, all the uranium, you know, the revenue from all the uranium that they develop, and they got $200 million for selling the, uh, the fine. And, and they don't have to operate the mines themselves either. No, it's a really efficient model. They just, they're sort of like the intellectual capital. They, you know, read maps and travel around the countryside, and they're focused mostly in eastern Canada, they just expanded operations into Chile, so just those two areas of the world they're really focused on. And, you know, they just, they're geologists, and they look around for, for new mineral discoveries. And they partner up with other, with partners, joint venture partners, and let the partners uh, earn their way into the project by taking on the operational risk and, and the, you know, the, the capital risk that you need to drill holes in the ground and prove up the deposit. So it's really, really efficient. Very good. And then you have another category in your extreme value portfolio, which is what you call good competitors in no-moat industries. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it is a kind of a funny name. Um, you know, not every, not every business has a big competitive advantage. Um, not every business can be, you know, Coca-Cola. Um, so um, things like oil and gas and... Uh, and similar commodity-type industries, they don't necessarily have a competitive advantage, but we think they're well-run companies. And, uh, we, you know, if we can get them at a cheap enough price, um, you know, we're willing to, uh, you know, to, to place a bet there. So what would be an example of a company in that category? Uh, I think C&J Energy Services is probably the best one to talk about right now. It's... Um, it's an oil and gas. It's, it's actually a hydraulic fracturing company. People have been talking about hydraulic fracturing a lot because there's a big oil and gas boom going on in the United States. And uh, they provide the equipment to kind of stuff down into the, the, the oil well that, um, that does hydraulic fracturing, which is basically breaking up oil and natural gas-bearing rocks thousands of feet under the ground to release the hydrocarbons within them and bring them up. And, you know, this company, they generate a pretty good amount of gas, or I'm sorry, a pretty good amount of cash flow. And it, the thing we found it, and it continues to trade at a pretty cheap price, around six or seven times uh, the earnings. And 
they they have acquired other businesses in an effective way that has added value, which is a very rare skill. We rarely find that, um, and we think uh, we, you know we think this could be a much bigger business in the next five or ten years as this oil and gas boom plays out. When people buy into stocks and subscribe to your extreme value portfolio, what kind of a time frame should they expect for these things to work out? Uh, you know, generally, we we think that they should work out within about three to five years. That's really, you know, if, if it goes on much longer than five years, maybe we made a mistake. Uh, sometimes we hold on to things longer than that, but, um, you know, most of them do work out within that time frame. Very good. All right, let's move to your other newsletter, which is called the 12% Letter. Uh, what is it that you're looking for in stocks that would uh, be on the 12% Letter recommended list? Well, this newsletter is all about income. And, uh, you know, some people, they, uh, they can't buy a stock. They, they need the income, so they don't want to buy a stock if it doesn't pay a dividend. Um, and a lot of people want to, you know, they want, they want a good high yield. They don't want to make, you know, 1% or 2% right now. They want to make, these days, a good high yield would be, you know, 6 or 7%. So that's, that's really what we specialize in there. So, also, you have a world-dominating uh, dividend grower category, and then what you call dividend opportunities. What's the difference between those two? Okay, so your world-dominating dividend growers, um, they are just like the other world dominators. So, they're number one company, they're gushing cash flow. There's a lot of overlap between extreme value and 12% letter with these companies. Uh, but all of the world-dominating dividend growers in the 12% letter they all pay a dividend, and they all have a history of dividend growth, growing their dividend for many years in a row, sometimes just decades and decades in a row. Um, and whereas in extreme value, we have, world, we have the world dominators there. Some of them don't pay a dividend at all. So, so what is it telling you when a company keeps raising its dividend? What is that telling you about the business long term? Um, tells you a couple of things. One thing is that... Um, you know, dividends come out of profits, so the profits are going up steadily uh, over the long term, and they can pay out more and more and more of them uh, year after year to the shareholders. Um, another thing it tells you that most people can't quite wrap their head around is that they just can't, you know, the business generates more cash than it knows what to do with, and they just can't reinvest it all back in the business. You know, and that's why, for example, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's company does not pay a dividend because he can reinvest all the money back into the business. But most companies, they're not a conglomerate. They're not made of a bunch of different businesses like that. They only do one business, and there's only so much you can reinvest. So, you know, they've, they've succeeded so well that they have more cash than they know what to do with, really. So you don't consider that a negative, that they can't find places to invest their cash? Uh, you know, up to a point, um, it, it, it can be a negative, but no. In fact, I consider it um, a sign of, of good character in the management when they say, you know something, we have hit our limit, and the right thing to do, the only good thing to do with the rest of this cash is to pay it out to the owners of the company. We should not be stretching the limits of what's doable in this business and going off and acquiring businesses that we have no business being in, 
what Peter Lynch uh, might call diversification. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what would be an example of a world-dominating dividend grower uh, that you would like uh, in your portfolio? Um, actually, you know, all of these are, they're all above our recommended buy price, but, but the most recently added one was Cisco Corporation, S-Y-S-C-O, the food mm-hmm. company. They're, they're the biggest food distributor in the world uh, in, for restaurants and institutions. Um, North American-based company, uh, they are in an industry, food distribution for institutions, where it's highly fragmented. They're, they've got about $40 billion in revenue. They're more than double the number two player. And, you know, you, I think they're something like, well, they're bigger than, like, you know, the next 10 combined, and then there's something like 16,500 food distribution companies, most of which are tiny little operations they would never want to own, but many of which are making, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars and which we expect that they could acquire at some point and help them grow. Uh, and they've been growing, you know, the food industry, it grows kind of slowly, but they've been growing faster um, they've been growing their market share, you know, by ac- acquiring other businesses over the years. And so you think it's, again, undervalued. You're, you're not only wanting high yield, but you want it to be undervalued. Are these so-called accidental high yielders where their stock has yeah, gone down yeah, to some extent? Um, and, and in the case of the world-dominating dividend growers, I don't even know if I call them high yielders because most of them, we buy them, the yield could be 25 3.5%, somewhere in that neighborhood. But the yields are almost always growing at like a high single-digit or low double-digit rate, which is really phenomenal. Um, you know, you, you add the current yield. Yeah, a good rule of thumb is to just take the current yield and add it to the dividend growth rate, and that's if they can keep up that growth rate, that's, that sum is your approximate total return for as long as they can keep that rate up. So you find a 3% dividend that's growing 10% a year, and you could make 13% a year off of this thing for as long as they can grow that dividend at that rate. So um, really, uh, and, and the businesses are wonderful. You know, they're number one in their industry. They consistently beat their competition. They can usually do things for lower costs, and they usually have some sort of pricing power with their customers. Um, and so they just keep raising the dividends, and they keep growing the revenues. And those are my favorite income stocks of all. Do they tend to do better in, in volatile periods in the stock market as well? The, the dividend yield tends to support the stocks? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, these are like people used to call them blue chips, right? I would say my list is like the bluest of blue chips, but, you know, that's, that's just my opinion. Um, but, yeah, they do. Okay, very I mean, good. We're going to take a break. Uh, we'll be back. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dan Ferris. Uh, he is the uh, editor of Extreme Value and also the 12% Letter, uh, published by Stansbury & Associates. Uh, stansburyresearch.com is their website. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait, they just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dan Ferris. Uh, the author and editor of Extreme Value and the 12% Letter, uh, published by Stansbury & Associates, their website, stansburyresearch.com. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thank you, Jordan. In the 12% Letter, you have another category in addition to the world-dominating dividend growers, which is what you call dividend opportunities stocks. Uh, how, how does this company uh, get into that category? Uh, mostly just by not being a world-dominating dividend grower. We have all kinds of different things in there. Uh, most of them are master limited partnerships at this point and we also I recommended Target in early 2012 and that wound up in there just because Walmart's the number one retailer and Target's number two so it couldn't be number one um, and a few other little odds and ends but uh, at this point you know it is mostly the master limited partnerships the high yielders so maybe describe what the advantages are of investing in a master limited partnership these days the advantage is well. There's um, there's a tax advantage that um, you know most people can take advantage of, and if you go into the uh, publicly traded the, the Association of Publicly Traded Partnerships website, I, I'm sorry, I forget the exact uh, URL for that, but you you could find it on Google with that name. They'll tell you that, for example, an older uh, investor could wind up. Investing in a master limited partnership, deferring the taxes, pass, and you know not paying uh, taxes on the income or, or on most of it, pa- passing away, leaving the thing to his children, and having them not be liable for the taxes that he deferred. So, kind of a neat situation for some investors there. And overall, 
a lot of the dividends are classified as return of capital, so it's not classified as income. So that's why there's, you know, you don't pay a tax on it. But what you do get is your cost basis gets reduced over time. So if you sell your shares, you know, that's when your tax bill hits. And if you keep the thing for a long time, you know, you you buy it for, you know, $30 a share, let's say, and you get, you know, $29 of dividends over the years, uh, you know, you, you can have a substantial tax bill when you sell it. What is the fundamental business that they're in, and what's the attraction of that business today? Well, the, the business most of them are in is pipelines, um, you know, crude oil, natural gas, and other hydrocarbons, um, hydrocarbon pipelines uh, all over the United States. And really the attraction of these things, uh, unfortunately, Jordan, I'm afraid most people are really just attracted by the higher yield. Uh, and sometimes you can get into a situation where the higher yield means higher risk, frankly. And you have to do a um, little bit of homework and and make sure that you're not overly exposed to falling commodity prices. You get you get some commodity price risk with some of these, and you have to be careful that not all of the revenue is eaten up that way. So we developed my partner Mike Barrett and I developed a system that we call our seven-point MLP selection model. So we basically just go through and we ask um, seven questions uh, of each of these MLPs trying to take out some of the risk. And one of those questions, of course, is, you know, is there too much commodity price risk in this company's revenue stream? Generally speaking, if it's, if, if maybe 60 to 70 percent of the earnings are not directly exposed to commodity price movements, we think we're in pretty good territory. I mean, often they're based more on the price of transmitting oil and gas as opposed to the price of oil and gas itself. Isn't that correct? Right. And that is based on, of course, the volume which they transport. Which is not so, based on price. It's based on quantity of oil and gas. Right. But, but there are commodity exposures, though. Uh, when you get into certain types of contracts that are used for the, the uh, processing and transportation of natural gas liquids, for example, uh, you can get exposure to the movement of the commodity price. Um, so what would be, you, what, what, one of your favorites right now in this space, we have about three minutes to go, uh, that you would like particularly? Uh, one of my favorites, well, I think... Um, really one of the best, it's sort of like the blue chip pipeline company that I would start anybody out on is Williams Partners. Uh, they own, for example, the Transco Pipeline, 10,000 miles of natural gas pipeline from the Gulf Coast to the New York City metropolitan area. And, um, you know, so this is, they transport something like, uh, they have two other huge pipeline systems, one in the Northwest, one in Florida. They transport something like 14% of the country's natural gas. So this is like an essential piece of United States energy infrastructure. Okay, this business is not going away. It's very important to the United States. Uh, and, you know, they serve something. That Transco pipeline passes by something like 30 million people. You know, there are 30 million customers feeding off of that thing. 
So I think you've got a really safe, mostly fee-based, right, not exposed to commodity prices kind of income. Uh, and they do a very good job of growing the thing, too, uh, over time. And they're taking advantage of, of uh, you know, the oil and gas boom to expand the business and, and build new pipelines and processing plants in all the areas where uh, these massive shale oil and gas finds are occurring. Uh, just what would really be another example of, of other companies taking advantage of the, the fracking and the shale boom? Uh, they're putting in pipelines to take advantage of that, they're doing it in addition to Williams. Um, well, that we like. I mean, a lot of them are doing that, right? But that we like, um, I think another good example is Energy Transfer Partners. Uh, symbols ETP are there on that one. And uh, Energy Transfer is a really neat story because they did a couple of big acquisitions. Their general partner bought... Southern uh, Union Company, and they also merged with another company, Sunoco. And it got really complicated between the general partner, uh, energy transfer equity, and the master limited partnership, energy transfer partners, and all the different stakes that both of those companies had in these acquisitions. I think investors got overwhelmed, and it got too complicated. And we dug into it and figured out that it was less complicated than people thought, but also the company itself knows it's complicated, and they have straightened everything out. And now it's much easier to see where all the assets live, you know, in which entity you're investing in. And uh, I think investors are going to start getting this over the next several months. And also, this company, because they've been on this big growth spurt and um, – this big investment and acquisition spurt, they haven't raised their dividend for something like, what, four or five years now? And they're probably going to be raising it very soon, this year, in fact. Uh, they've indicated as much, and we believe them when they say it. So, In the final yeah. minute or so we have left, kind of give us an overview of what kind of investor is appropriate for your newsletters, the Extreme Value and the 12% letter, uh, to, to make, get the most out of what you're offering. Well, with extreme value, uh, the primary uh, thing I want you to have is a little bit of sophistication about financial statements uh, coupled with patience. I don't, you know, the, these things can go up and down and all around before they get to where we want them to go, and you have to be patient and, and let things play out. And with the 12% letter, what I really want is somebody who understands that the yield Currently, the current yield is not the most important thing about an income investment. I cannot stress this enough. The most important thing is the quality of the business, the quality of the management, the, the relative uh, certainty and safety and security of the cash flow supporting the dividend. Those are the important things to get with an income investment, not just the current yield. Uh, the potential that's, that's for, really... for growth in the yield as well over time. Potential for uh, the dividend to uh, grow. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A good history of growth is something we look for, and prospects for growth as well. Indeed. Very good. Well, thank you so much. My guest this hour on the Money Answer Show has been Dan Ferris. Uh, he is the editor of Extreme Value and the Twelve Percent Letter, published by Stansbury and Associates. Again, their website is stansburyresearch.com. You can find out more about Dan's newsletters. So thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Dan. Oh, thank you, Jordan. 
Thank you for joining Jordan okay. Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.